Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. We are a college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church. We are in our semester study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I hope you enjoy as we go through this great letter verse by verse. Good morning. Like Alex said, I am Blake Brown, <laughs> as opposed to the other Blakes, which is not happening. Um, so we're in First Thessalonians. So go to open your Bibles, First Thessalonians. Um, we have Bibles in the back if you need any. Also notes if you're a notes taker um, and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah. So last week we looked at the Thessalonians and we saw that they were very solid believers, right? Um, he said the Thessalonians were actually doing really well at loving each other. Doesn't need anyone to write to them because they're taught by God to love others. How are they taught by God? Holy Spirit, right? We talked about it last week. <laughs> um, basically walking in the Spirit, right? By, by abiding in Christ, by studying the Word, they're taught by God to love one another and such. Um, and then Paul encouraged the believers, or the Thessalonians, to excel even more in their love. Right? To excel even more. Um, to keep to themselves, to lead a quiet life, to work with their hands. He says, if you do that, then you will act properly towards outsiders, towards unbelievers, and you won't be in any need. And so Paul's gotten into this portion of the letter where he's addressing different issues that the Thessalonians have um, or any questions that they had, maybe or concerns that they had. He's kind of addressing those at this point. Um, so this morning we are going over 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. I put this up here, um, and I have this week and next week. I put it up there like maybe a third of the time. I like to do it every time, but I just forget. Um, but the goal is kind of that you can maybe read ahead during the week and kind of come like, okay, I kind of know what this is about, but maybe I have questions that I know better, like what my questions would be, or I have things, that, thoughts I can comment on or like that throughout the week. So um, that's up there just for your benefit. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage this morning, and then we'll get started. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. God, we come to you thanking you for your word and how powerful that is um, and just how much we can get out of it and apply in our lives. I pray this morning as I'm up here teaching that it would be you speaking through me um, because your word, we know that when it goes out, it accomplishes its purpose and it never comes back void. And so um, just lead us this morning as we talk about um, these amazing truths that we see in the Bible and um, just bring clarity and open our hearts to be um, encouraged or convicted as needed, God. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So most of us in here um, don't need this anymore. It's like the umbilical cord to the iPad. Um, most of us in here have lost, um, we've lost someone probably that we were somewhat close to in our lives at some point. And there's grieving that happens when we lose someone. Um, the reason we grieve is that actually as when we were created as humans, we weren't created to be separated from our bodies. Right? Our souls weren't created to be separated there. Um, when Adam and Eve were first created, they were spiritual, emotional, and physical all together, and they were designed to be with God forever, living in, in, in the Garden of Eden and such on this earth. But they ate the forbidden fruit, and they plunged all of us into death, right? 
through one man, Adam, sin into the world and death through sin. And so there's pain and there's grieving that happens when someone dies because it isn't how it's supposed to be. It's a consequence of sin. It's a consequence of, uh, of, that, uh, of that act. Um, and so that's why we grieve, right? It's not something that we want to happen. This morning, though, we're going to look at a passage where we're given reasons that we're not supposed to grieve like those who don't have hope, not supposed to grieve like those who, like everyone else. We're given comfort in this passage. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so you don't grieve those who have no hope. Um, obviously, when he says sleep, he's not talking about someone taking a nap and you're grieving um, at that point. Um, but he's talking about this is a euphemism for death, right? Those who have died, who have fallen asleep. And we looked at last week. Paul had just finished explaining um, the love, uh, the love that other believers have for each other, um, and such. Um, would someone be willing to shut that door in the back, real quick? Um, thanks, Brandon. Um, so Paul had just finished explaining right last week how. Um, we want to love others, and they're loving others really well and love others better. But then he's addressing, okay, but what if those you love die? Right? What then? What happens? That's someone's really good at looking forward to the coming of Christ. Right? They, they, had, they had knowledge that, yeah, Christ is going to come. We know that, and they're looking forward to it. In fact, Paul addresses it at the end of every single chapter in Thessalonians. He addresses the, the coming of Christ. So they, they know about it, right? And they thought that it was going to happen any day. They're like, anytime Christ is coming back, it will be good, right? It will be great. It will be awesome. And then they're worried, like, but people are dying, right? There's believers who are dying before he gets back. What's going to happen to them? We don't know. So they're worried about that. He's addressing this issue um, here. Um, like I said, asleep is, is a euphemism, uh, kind of a nice way of saying dead. Even Jesus uses this whenever he heals a 12-year-old girl. In the scripture, we see that she was sick, um, and someone came to be like, Please heal her. And he's like, okay, I'll go. I'll heal her. And then by the time that they get there, she'd already died. And they're like, well, don't bother him anymore because she's dead. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. Let's keep going. They get there, and he's like, what are you all grieving about? She's just asleep. And they start laughing at him like, are you kidding me? Like, no, she's dead. Um, and then he raised her from the dead. Right? And so it's a euphemism for basically um, for, for, for dead, death, basically. there. Um, but he goes and he says, uh, we don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. So what does he imply there? What do we have? Hope, right? Um, we have hope. We have hope because Christ came to earth. He lived the perfect life, and he died to pay for our sins. And then he rose again three days later to conquer death, and he offers us the free gift of eternal life. So we have hope there, and when we place our faith in Jesus, we have eternal life. Look at First John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a present tense thing. I don't know about you all, but I used to think growing up that like, oh yeah, when I die, I'll get eternal life. But here it says you already have it. Right? When you believe, you have believed, you have it currently. So it's right then. It's present tense. If you've ever believed in Christ for eternal life, then you get it that instant. You get eternal life. And it's eternal, so how long does it last? Eternal, eternal, right? So if you lose it, was it ever eternal to begin with? No, the Bible would have lied when it says you have eternal life. Because you really lost it and it wasn't eternal when you got it. Right? That makes sense? You see that? So um, we, we can trust the Bible and it says that you have eternal life. We can say, okay, I have it right then. I believe is when I got it and such. And he's writing these things so they may know they have eternal life. So you can know that you have eternal life. And ultimately, we have hope because we know we will be with God when we die. Right? As believers, we have hope because we know that we have eternal life. 
Um, I think I have it in here, yeah. So, um, I haven't got that, that needs to get that down. There's two blanks to fill in. I'm hoping no. Um, Romans 8, 39, 38-39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's nothing that can separate us that from, from that, right? from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we're in Christ whenever we, whenever we put our faith in Christ. Um, so what, what sort of things fall underneath this, these categories that it says that can't separate us? Ourselves, why? We can't do anything to separate us from the love of God. Because yeah. We're created. There's nothing there. And like you said, yeah, we're created. Nor any other created thing. We've been created, right? We're created, and so we can't separate ourselves from that. In fact, it says that um, um, God, who cannot lie, has promised us eternal life. Right? And so it's based off of Him, not based off of us. Because of a Christ life, Christ sacrifice is why I'm going to heaven. Not because I look at myself and I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to heaven, right? No, because I look at myself and I don't, I don't think I'd go to heaven if I look at my own works, right? It's based off of Christ and his perfection. And so we are created, right? We're a created thing. And so we can't separate ourselves from, from the love of God, right? We can be out of fellowship. We can be, not have a great relationship at that point with God because we're living in sin maybe or something. But ultimately our salvation is, is secure, we have eternal life. And no other things, no life, death, angels, principalities, things present, no one can do it um, to you. Someone can't lay a curse on you and then suddenly like, oh no, I'm not going to heaven or whatever else it may be. Um, so with that, how does our hope differ from unbelievers? They're not justified. What does that mean? <laughs> that means that they're still, they're still condemned to be separated from yeah, so what, like, what sort of things, what do they think happens when they die? Or when those they love die? When those they love die, they, they don't have that hope because they don't know. They, they, either if they are believers, they do not know the hope that they have within them. And they have no hope in eternity if there is an eternity by mm-hmm. their beliefs. And if they are an unbeliever, so it's the same every rule. Yeah, so basically, yeah, like, kind of like I heard Alex say, that is the question, right? What happens when you die? You have no, you don't, don't know, right? There's no hope of like, they're in a better place. So what do you believe about heaven? Well, I don't know. It's like, so where are they, right? Um, what is the best hope that you can have if you don't have God? No. Well, I mean, literally, yes. But like, so, so if you're, if you're, <laughs> yes. Um, if you're an unbeliever, right, and you don't believe in God, you're an atheist, you're agnostic, whatever else it may be, um, the best hope you can have is to, to leave a good legacy, right? I, I need to live my life so I have a good legacy to leave behind. Right? I make some sort of impact that's lasting kind of thing. Um, but ultimately, that's all for just temporal things, right? Things that are passed away, that are meant to be forgotten. Who here knows what their grandparents did? Basically, some stuff about their grandparents. Right? What about your great-grandparents? What about your great-great-grandparents? All right, one more. Great-great-great-grandparents. Who finally got Coleman to put his hand down. <laughs> yeah. And so we see that like three, four generations later, 
Your family won't even remember. The people who are your descendants don't even remember what you did, who you were, or anything like that. And so if your hope is just set on, I want to make an impact and do all these things here on earth, people aren't going to remember you right? a few generations down. Um, so you kind of, if your hope is set on that, you realize just how insignificant you are in the light of eternity. Right? Which is why our hope is different because we have an eternal hope. Right? Things are going to last um, forever. And when someone dies who we're close to, um, then, then they're truly a believer. If they're a believer and we know where they're going, right? If they're a believer, we know where they're going. Um, they truly are in a better place. They're with Christ and they'll be with the Lord forever. Um, unfortunately, we also know where unbelievers go, right? Or they're not going to be with Christ. They're going to be separated from God for eternity. They'll be in hell. So let's make sure that they've heard the gospel, right? Have that urgency of like, if you die, which we don't know when that's going to happen, it could happen any time. I know where you're going. Get your faith in Christ. So let's, let's make sure that we're, we're diligent, right? At going out and sharing our gospel, sharing the gospel with people. But as believers, he says that when we grieve, we can have a hope. Because we'll see them again, right? We have a hope when we grieve. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that you just died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. All right, so it says, for if we believe that you just died and rose again. Something interesting in the Greek. There are three different classes of ifs, basically. Um, so the first class it's called is if and it is true. Right? So you say, if we do this and it's true that this happens, right? So if you had gone to the store and you had gone to the store, go on, right? Second is if and it is false. So it's like if you had gone to the store, you would have gotten milk. If and you didn't, right? Um, and then there's a third class, like if, right? If it rains, we won't be able to go to the store. If it does, if it doesn't. It's a kind of a maybe, right? We don't really know. Um, here in, in verse 14, we have what is called the first class if, right? If and it is true. So um, this means that if we believe that you just died and rose again, which we do right, as believers, um, then we also believe that God will bring together with him those who have died in Christ. We realize that Christ has given us the authority to give eternal, uh, has, sorry, Christ has the authority to give us eternal life because he showed us he's conquered death. Right? He died, but he's like, just kidding, right? He like rose again. He's like, I can give you eternal life because I, death has no power over me. Right? He resurrected, and then we believe that he'll take those who have died and he'll raise them from the grave as well. So real quick, um, turn, hold your place in Thessalonians and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quick. This is a passage that goes along really well with um, this one this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. Alright, uh, we'll be in verse 12. 1 Corinthians is like, I don't know, five books back in Testament, I think. I don't know exactly where it's at. But um, it says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. It says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Right? If there is no resurrection at all, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. 
there's no resurrection. He's saying, we're witnessing that God raised Christ from the dead, and if he hasn't, we're false witnesses, and that's not a good thing to be of God. Keep going. Um, Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Oof, right? Um, If we only hope for him in this life, like he'll make my life better and I'll be able to do these things. And then when I die, well, that's it, right? Like we're most to be pitied because our entire, right, all that we have is that we're given eternal life in Christ. And there's eternal rewards. There's things that we can do. But look, our future hope that we have is the future hope. And if we don't have that, we're most to be pitied. And so we have this assurance that we will see our loved ones again um, who have died in Christ. If we deny that there's a resurrection, then we're denying what Christ has done and what Christ has promised. What he did is he died and rose again to pay for sin and conquer death. And he promised us eternal life. If we say there is no resurrection, we don't get eternal life. Well, then we're denying what he has said, what he's done, and what he has promised. So, what does it mean then to bring with him, to bring together with him those who have fallen asleep? Right? It says fallen asleep, right? Euphemism for dead, right? Look at verse 15, that's a couple of verses. Um, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, notice, by the way, he says, um, for this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. He's emphasizing, this is God's word. It's not just us saying these things. It's just saying, this is by the word of the Lord. Now, all of this is God's word. Right? But he's emphasizing this particularly to say, like, this is from God directly, right? He's saying, uh, by the word of the Lord, we who live and remain come of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So where it says, will not precede, it doesn't have a different translation. It's something kind of different there or is it all will not proceed well certainly not proceed actually I like that better um, so in the Greek here there's actually a double negative in English what does a double negative mean positive right like ain't no way I'm just kidding that actually means there's no way um, but um, if you say like you know I, I'm not not gonna go it's like okay well that's a positive right? I'm going to go do something or whatever but in the Greek a double negative is an emphatic no right it's like no not at all actually these two words um, this is just if you really want to geek out Greek out um, are um, who may um, and so there's both words for no but it's putting them together. When you have ume together, it means no way, no how, right? So those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will in no way, no how, certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died in Christ. So he's very, um, very emphatically saying those people who have died, your loved ones who have died, they're going to be raised, right? And we who are alive and remain when Christ comes, we aren't going to be raised before them. They'll, they'll be raised first, and so it's giving them that hope that, like, those that you're worried about, right, those that you're worried about that have died before Christ comes, it's okay. Right? They're going to be raised. And so we who are alive and remain when he comes will in no way, no how, go before those who have already died. Okay, that's cool and all. But uh, when is this Lord's coming thing? Right? What is that talking about? When the Lord comes. Which coming is this? He already came once. Right? He came. He died. He rose again. He ascended. Um, so what's happening here? 
Well, this whole time, he's talking about those who have died in Christ, right? In Christ. So Christians, right? Died in Christ, believed in Christ, died. People who are part of what's called the church age. Um, so this period of time that, that after basically Christ died and rose again, people believed in him. Uh, they put their faith in Christ. They have like a name to their Messiah. It's not just this future Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. Um, that's those people. The Old Testament believers, people who believed in God, were not Christians. Right? They had their faith in a future Messiah, but they didn't have that it was Jesus Christ. Right? Um, they weren't part of that, that church age because Christ hadn't come yet. They still placed their faith in God to save them, looking forward to that future Messiah, but they would not be considered Christians. They weren't part of the church. You wouldn't say like, oh yeah, Moses, you know, the church that he went to. And it's like, well, he's not really part of the church, right? Does that make sense? Right? You're tracking with me? Okay. So um, they were still believers. They believed in God to give them eternal life. They looked forward to the future Messiah. Um, but they weren't part of the church age. And so he's saying here that when Christ comes, those who have died in Christ will be raised. We who live and remain will be caught up with them. And so he's talking about the church here. Well, when is this going to happen? Right? He's already come once. What is that? Okay, so um, this is going to be, we're going to go through a lot today, so hopefully just pay attention, bear with me. Um, there's a, a passage in Daniel, right? So we're going way back to Old Testament, passage in Daniel. I'll have it up on the screen. Um, it's Daniel 9, 24-27, about how much time the Israelites have to get their act together, right? Basically, God's like, you got this much time, or that's it, right? That's all. So look at... Um, this. Daniel, it's called the 70 weeks. Um, I don't even have it here, but what it is, it's Daniel 9, 24 through 27, if you want to have that, whatever. 9, 24 27. He says this. This is God um, prophesying. It says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. What does that mean? To make an end of sin. <clears throat> right, that's a lot. Um, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. That's a lot to do, right? And you only have 70 weeks to do all of these things, it said in Daniel. To basically stop sinning, um, to, to, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up no more vision, no more prophecy, and ignore the most holy place. And he goes on. So you're to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks, 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in the times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Right, so it's not two weeks. I'm going to write all these down so it's not... Kind of remember from up here. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice grain offering. On the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even a complete destruction that one has been decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So the people of Israel, right at the beginning we see, has been given 70 weeks. Um, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and for the holy city, right? For the Israelites and for the holy city of Jerusalem. And this word weeks here actually means 70 sevens. Right, seventy sevens. What it means. So they just say weeks because sevens, right? Seven days in a week. Um, thing. Well, if you take seventy days of seven, right? What, well, what's seventy times seven? Quick math. 
490, right? 490. So if you take this and say, okay, so that's 77, so 490 days. And you try to figure out, okay, look at all these things they say. Um, did they do this in 490 days after this decree? Uh, no, right? You have to say weeks, to take months. It doesn't only make sense until you say years, right? You say it's 490 years. So 77s, 70 times 7 would be 490 years, right? Things start to line up. Um, so here's boiled down what, what was said about the timeline. Right. I'm going to write it up here. So he says you have um, 490, right? So 70 times 7. 490 total. And then he says um, after um, this, you're going to know them discern from the issuing of a decree, whatever that is, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks plus 62, right? What? 69. Okay, cool. 69 weeks, right? Now, if you take that and say those are weeks, right? So weeks, that's times 7. What's 69 times 7? 483. 483. 483. So from um, the decree until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be 483 years, what we'd say, right? Um, and then we have, after that, right, we still have how much left? What's 490 minus 483? So we just have a seven years just kind of hanging out somewhere, somewhere over here, right? But um, we have 483 from the decree to the Messiah. Well, that's great, right? That's so cool. Um, you have all this happening. The Messiah is going to be cut off, and then there's going to be the last seven years. Right, you have here that after those seven years, in the middle of the week, that last seven years, they'll put a stop to sacrifice, grain offering, wing abominations. Um, all this stuff is going to happen. The abomination of desolation is what it's called. <coughs> well, you have that seven years, so there's that last week, so it all adds up. Right? So after the Messiah is cut off, seven more weeks, or seven more years. And that's great. So now we just need some sort of decree to tell us when this starts. He said, after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. There's only one recorded decree put out to rebuild the city. And it's found in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. It's a decree by Artaxerxes to go rebuild Jerusalem. Um, we're not going to read it because of time and trying to get through all of this. There's a lot of stuff we're going through. Um, but if you want to uh, go back and read it, you can see that there's a decree to go rebuild um, the wall and the city of Jerusalem. And guess how many exact Jewish years after this decree was given, um, Christ died on the cross? 483 years. Right? In fact, the decree was given in April, and Christ died on the cross in April. And so from uh, their, their version of, of April, right? They had different months, stuff, and everything. And they have 360 days, 365 days is what we have now. And so if you take the Jewish years from when the decree was given to when Christ was on the cross, it was exactly 483 years. That's pretty cool, right? It lines up exactly as God said it would to boom. That's when it happens. Now Christ came to the earth the first time to die and to pay for sin and to conquer death. Um, and that happened right on schedule. 483 years said the Messiah would be cut off, right, in Daniel. Um, there was an abomination, and there was a sub-sacrifice three years after his death, and now it's all over, right? So that's what happened. He died. Seven years later, all this other stuff happens, and then it's over. There's no more sin, no more iniquity. Um, righteousness has come in, everlasting. That's what happened, right? 
Not exactly, right? <laughs> we, don't, we don't really see that happening right now. There's still uh, some sin. That's the issue. Instead, something happened that no one saw coming. Right? And it's called the church age. The church age. So look at Ephesians 3, 4 through 7. It says, by referring to this, this is Paul writing, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Right? There's something that has been hidden, basically, but has now been revealed in the apostles and prophets. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel which I was going to minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So no one knew and understood in the Old Testament that these Gentiles now would be brought in, be made fellow heirs of the promises that were made to Israel. A lot of promises are made to Israel in the Old Testament. Things that God has promised, and it's not even a, a conditional, like, if you follow me, then I'll do this. The Mosaic law is, right, there's certain things that are, but a lot of promises God says, this is going to happen to you. And that's it. And he promised it to them. And now it's like, whoa, the Gentiles are able to be included in that? Right? That's insane. And the Gentiles now, like the church, right? Um, if you look at um, the Jewish nation as a whole, the people, are, they, are most of them believers in Christ? No, right? There's been a partial hardening. So they, 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 don't, they themselves have, have um, rejected Christ as the Messiah. And so now the church is made up of all believers. There are Jewish believers, Messianic Jews, um, but then there's also believers um, who are Gentiles are, are the main thing, right? Most believers, Christians, are Gentiles. And so those are people who are God's representatives on earth right now. Okay. So no one knew this was going to happen until it was revealed through Christ. Right? The Old Testament, they didn't realize that was going to be a thing. Um, also, no one knows when it's going to end. Uh, there are many parables Jesus says regarding his return, and they explain that no one knows what's going to happen. Right? All times he uses the thing of like a master leaves, and the servants are there, and the master's going to come back, and you never know when he's going to come back, so make sure you stay awake, right? stay alert. <coughs> um, okay, are we, we tracking so far? Any big questions? So, 1 uh, Corinthians, here's what happens when he returns. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. What does sleep mean? Death. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. Right. So, even if we don't die, we'll still be changed. Um, in a moment, um, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must put on the, sorry, the perishable must put on the, did I keep going? Yeah, sorry. Uh, the perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, a lot of perishables happening here, right? Um, and this mortal will put on the immortality, then we will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Now, look at what we just read, right? Think about what we just read in comparison to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. So hopefully you're back in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So you can see, right, there's the same thing. He's talking about 1 Corinthians. There's the last trumpet, right? There's a trumpet in, talking about in 1 Thessalonians, the trumpet of the Lord. The dead will be raised and then we will be changed, right? Um, it says in 1 Thessalonians, right? The dead um, will, and Christ will rise first, then we who live and remain will be caught up. This is the same event. Do we see that, the parallels there? And it's saying um, uh, basically that those who are, who are perishable, right? Mortal bodies can't inherit or go into the kingdom, which is immortal, right? Which is forever. And so we must be changed, right? Given, given they're called glorified bodies. And so this happens, um, all, all of this is the same thing as the, um, as the First Thessalonians passage. We see that? Good? Cool. This event is referred to now, we, we refer to it as the rapture, right? It's called the rapture. And this is the um, kind of, time, I'm not going to go into the timeline very deeply, but here's kind of the timeline that we have here. So over here in the Old Testament, right, we had um, Daniel, right, Nehemiah, the, the, the thing that was given out. We had 483 years after that, Christ came and died again, right? Exactly. And then Christ ascended and he was here on the earth for a little bit of time. And then Pentecost is just whenever the Holy Spirit came down, right? The Holy Spirit came down and the church started. Um, and then we're in the church age now, we're in the church age. But then at some point, we don't know when, right? No one knows when, Christ will come, as it says here, um, here Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, archangel, all this stuff, and then we'll be caught together with him in the clouds, right? Um, so this is when he comes back to get the church. Christ comes back to get his bride. The church is called the bride of Christ. He comes back to get his bride. Um, and he said, Jesus said, if you remember, that he's going to prepare a place for us. And literally says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't that way, I wouldn't have told you. Right? Um, and so he's going to come back and get us and gather us up here. Um, so the rapture is when Jesus comes where? To the clouds, right? Does he come to the earth? No, right? we'd actually see it. It actually says, comes in the clouds, we'll gather up together with him in the clouds. Um, in the clouds he comes, he does not come to the earth. Um, so Christ will ultimately have two comings to the earth. Right? The first, he came, he died, he rose again, he was born in a manger, right? And then he, um, he lived a perfect life, he died, he rose again. And the next coming is to rule and to reign. Right? The Old Testament, the Messiah will rule with a rod of iron, he'll reign with righteousness and all those things. Uh, but the rapture isn't to the earth. So it's not included as one of those two comings. It's in the clouds. So when does this happen? Well, when is the rapture going to happen? Right now. Okay. It's worth a shot, right? Um, we don't know what's going to happen, but it will happen before the last seven years for the Jewish people. Right? for the nation of Israel. Um, remember, right? we still have those seven more years that God said that, that the Jewish nation had to, to basically stop sinning right? and to be good, to get good. Um, and so to get their stuff together. Um, and so this happens then. There are a lot of views that say that the church is the new Israel. And uh, the issue with that is that God has made promises to Israel that the church can't fulfill, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense. He says that you'll have a, a certain land. He gives specific borders. Here is the exact land you're going to have. And the people are like, oh, but the church now is the new Israel, and they have that land. It's like, 
no, that doesn't work because you get it to certain people of certain lineage, right? Certain lineages. All different things, right? The temple is going to be, there's promises about that. I'm not going to get all of that right now. Um, but the church is not able to fulfill those things, those specific promises that he's made to the nation of Israel, right? To specific descendants of the 12 tribes, right? Um, and if we say that God just kind of forgot the promises he made to Israel, right? He's like, okay, yeah, but you, you did really bad. You killed my son. And so, therefore, I'm not going to give you that anymore. These promises I made, I'm going to reject those. If we say that he rejects the promises made to Israel, well, what promises has he made to us? Salvation, right? Eternal life promise. What's to say he won't just forget that promise, right? Uh, ultimately, if we believe that God is truth and God is righteousness and he keeps promises, we can't just ignore the promises that were made to Israel, right? Um, so therefore, the last seven years are for who? Israel, right? Not for the church. It's for Israel, the holy people and the holy city, to, to do all those things. Remember back in Daniel, it was for Israel. Um, a lot of the nation actually is going to turn back and place their faith in Christ as the Messiah at this during the beginning of this seven year and all throughout the seven years, right? the last seven years. Um, also, if you read Revelation, the first three chapters of Revelation, anyone know what happens there? What? Yeah, there's letters to different churches, right? So churches used a lot in those first few chapters of Revelation because these letters to the churches. And then the next section, basically chapters kind of from 4 to 19, is about this seven-year period, right? The last seven years. Um, guess how many times it says the word church during that time of Revelation? Zero. Not a single time is the word church mentioned. And then you have after 19, right, is whenever Christ's second coming actually happens and the church comes with him as angels are there and they set up the thousand-year reign. Not getting into that today. We just don't have time. Um, but church is mentioned a lot after that, right, after that seven-year time is described. And so we see, first of all, in Revelation that the church is not even mentioned during that entire time of the last seven years. Because we see in Daniel it was made for who? Israel, right? In fact, that's called Jacob's trouble. Um, it's, it's considered for Israel to do all these things. It's not for the church, therefore the church will not go through that. It's just not for them, right? The rapture happens first. Questions about that? Want to talk about that? Then come talk to me later, right? We just don't have time to go into it really deep right now. I've gone through and I've had last year a uh, end time study where we spent like overall probably like five hours over two different days going over this kind of stuff. Um, but there's just a lot to go into. We're not going to do that right now. But in 1 Thessalonians, right, he says we don't have to grieve those who have died in Christ because we know that that's going to happen. Right? We know that those who have died will be caught up, will be, will be um, raised from the dead. Those who are alive and remain at that time are going to be caught up with him in the clouds. Dead in Christ rise first. Put on immortal bodies. And then we who are alive and remain at that time will be caught up with him in the clouds and will always be with the Lord. That's what it says in verse 16 and 17. Isn't that a comfort when you lose someone here on earth? To know that, okay, they're gone for now, but I'm going to see them again. So we have hope when we grieve the loss of someone because we know that we're going to be reunited with them. We know that we'll be reunited with that person. And that's why our hope is different than the hope of unbelievers or other religions, maybe, what their hope is. Uh, there was a, a funeral at the church of an elder just a little bit ago who had died. 
And I got to thinking about him, and he's actually pretty similar in age to, to my grandparents. And, you know, it's like uh, whenever you're sitting in bed and nothing to think about, and you start thinking about what if someone died close to me, and you start tearing up, and it's like, nothing's happening, right? It's fine, right? Um, but honestly, like, I'm at a funeral, and it's like, this is someone who's in the same age as my, as my grandpa, right? And this person, my grandpa could die any time. Made me think about how sad I'd be if they died. Um, so I gained teary-eyed, and then I thought about this passage right here. And I immediately, I was comforted, right? It was still like, it'd be sad if he died, but it'll be okay. Yeah, my grandpa may die any time, and I'll be sad. I'll be grieving, but one day soon, I'll see him in a glorified body, right? And we'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be like, hey, right? It'll be great. I don't know what it'll be like, honestly, but it'll be like, this is so cool, right? You died, and then you're here. I get to see you again, right? And I'll be with you forever with the Lord. I can't imagine what it'll be like, um, but those whom I love or um, that I have lost or who I will lose, who are believers, I will reunite with them. We'll run up to each other and we'll be, we'll be joyful in the Lord. And that's the hope that we have. So we don't have to grieve hopelessly because we have a sure hope, an assurance of the hope that we have. That's why this passage ends with, with an amazing line. Look at, look at 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.18. Therefore... Because of all that, comfort one another with these words. So use this passage to comfort those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. It's sad. We're not designed to die. It's a cause for mourning, but we have a hope. We will see them. If we die before Christ raptures us, we'll see them. If we're alive when Christ comes, we'll see them. Right? We have a sure hope. And we will always be with the Lord. Something interesting. Um, this right here, where it says comfort one another, is the only imperative, it's the only command that we have in the entire chapter 4 of Thessalonians. And for the next 10 verses of chapter 5. It's the only command. It's to comfort one another. Other things sound like commands, right? When it says, um, we urge you and exhort you. It's actually, this, it's called the indicative mood. It's the mood of reality. We're urging you. We're exhorting you to do these things. This is the only time he actually commands the Thessalonians, hey, comfort one another with these. Use these words. This is a command to comfort one another. Wouldn't you say that uh, these words here, right, this passage here, is better comfort than just saying they're in a better place? Right? Not just they're in a better place, but you're going to see them again. Right? Let's do that. Let's comfort one another. And have comfort ourselves whenever we lose people. So, some application real quick. First of all, set your sights on the eternal, right? Set your sights on the eternal. Don't focus on the, the temporal things because it's just going to pass away, right? Don't live for yourself now because it's going to go, right? But you can do things that are going to have eternal consequences, right? Eternal things that go out and are going to be good. Focus on those. Share the gospel with unbelievers because we know their outcome. They don't believe in Christ, Right? Not a good outcome. They don't have the hope that we have. And then secondly, comfort those who grieve. Right? That's the only command, so it had to be an application. Comfort those who grieve. Share the, uh, the good news of our hope with other believers. Because a lot of believers may not know that we have this future hope. They're like, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven where I'm going to stand on a cloud for eternity singing. Right? Um, but actually, we have a hope that we're going to see our loved ones again. Right? We're going to have rewards for living a faithful life if we do that. And... Um, 
and go forth in it. Uh, but share the good news of our hope because we know their outcome. They lose someone who's close to them that was a believer. We know what's going to happen, right? We're going to see him again. Okay. We just have a couple minutes, and so um, I have some discussion questions. or something that you just maybe want to think about, or if anyone wants to speak up, you can. Um, but here, here's the questions. What is your reaction to death? Not yours, obviously. <laughs> right. Hopefully that's a good reaction. It's like, whoo, I'm with Jesus. right? Um, but what's your reaction when someone else dies? And then should it change based on this passage? thing that I would see changing would be not so much my reaction to it or my view of it, but just my constant daily focus. Mm. My focus shouldn't turn to eternity when someone close to me dies. It should already be eternity. Yeah. Because that is our ultimate hope. Yeah. It's a good point. If you couldn't hear him, um, basically said the application would be making sure that your focus is on eternity always. Not just when someone dies. Be like, oh yeah, eternity. Um, but always focusing on the eternal hope that we have. Right. Sometimes when someone close to me dies, you know, I, sometimes I don't know if they put their faith mm-hmm. in Christ or not. And so like, I have the hope that I see them again, but sometimes I'm like, what did they believe? Mm-hmm. Did they put their faith? You know? Yeah. And, um, even people that are alive today, you know, like people are close to you, you know, they can die at any second. And I know a lot of them aren't believers. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm like, I really try to, you know, show them the gospel as much as I can, you know. Yeah. And, um, but that's my reaction is I'm always like, are they a believer? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think it, it really gives you a motivation right, to share the gospel. Because you're like, I don't know if they're going to heaven or not. Ultimately, it's, is it our responsibility if someone believes in Christ? No. Is it our responsibility to share the gospel? Yes. Right. Um, we're just called to be faithful. God is the one working in their lives. They're the one who makes the decision to place their faith in Christ. But we're supposed to be faithful, right? to share the gospel with people. We want them to know that they can have a future hope. Right? They can have a hope in Christ and have eternal life. So, yeah. The other point is also motivating for like me as an individual to live in a way that when I die, there is no question mm-hmm. of like the, the loved ones around me will know, like they will have that hope and be secure in that because of the way that I live, the way that I showed Christ through my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And whatever you're talking about, like with the gospel, especially like, you know, like sharing the gospel to unbelievers and stuff, it's like also whenever like if you have unbeliever friends or people that are around you consistently it's like whenever someone dies um the way that you react to that the the attitude that you have towards that is that going to be a reflection of the gospel towards them and also like if you know say they attended your funeral like Mm -hmm. would that also be a reflection of the gospel itself yeah like that hope that people have about you and the hope that you have about others around you Mm Yeah, there's a saying where it says, don't make the, um, the pastor lie at your funeral. Right? They were a great person. They always showed the love of Christ. People there are like, we're at the right funeral, right? <laughs> uh, don't want that to happen. Uh, there's actually a verse in 1 John where it says we don't want to, basically it says abide in Christ so we don't shrink back in shame at his coming. 
So if you're in the middle of sinning, and then boom, rapture happens, you're going to be like, could you not have just been a little later when I was better in fellowship or something? Like, oh, this is not the best time, God, right? Uh, it's going to be a time of, of joy, but there's going to be some shame, you feel, if we're in the middle, like, if I'm in the middle of sinning, and then Christ comes back to get his church, I'm going to be like, <laughs> I could have done something so much better with my life at that moment. Right? Just to make sure you're abiding in him. We don't know when he's going to come back. Right? Another encouragement there. So all the time we have this morning, um, but make sure that we set our eyes on the eternal in our daily lives, as well as whenever these things happen. And that's um, comfort those who grieve. Right? Comfort ourselves with these passages. Whenever we're, we're tempted to be grieving as if we have no hope, turn here and realize we do have a future hope. Right? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the hope that you give us.